These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. This week, I have two questions from one mom that are super common and ones I've covered in various forms in the past, but there is no limit to the different ways these issues present themselves in families. So I think we almost can never get enough of covering these two topics, especially for parents of toddlers, and those are bedtime struggles and mealtime struggles. The question comes from Yuki, who says, Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for the great courses. I enjoy all the classes and your podcast. I'm a mother of two-and-a-half-year-old boy and girl twins, and I would like to hear your advice on two issues that we currently struggle with. One is mealtime. I understand from your class that my job is to serve nutritious food and their job is to eat. However, my son eats a third or a quarter of what his twin sister does, and he's shorter and lighter than her. People often think she is an older sister to him, which makes me worried. He eats snacks such as Cheerios or goldfish and white rice, but does not eat protein or vegetables unless I say something like, if you eat one piece of chicken, I'll give you one rice ball. I know this will backfire, but I want him to eat protein and vegetables other than just snacks. Would it be okay to let him choose what he eats even though it's resulted in insufficient nutrition and portion? Any tips to make him eat more? We have tried different types of protein and vegetables and eat together at the same table, but in general, it doesn't change his behavior. He goes to school three days a week, and according to his teachers, he does not eat lunch but eats snacks like fruits and granola bars. He drinks milk, so I tried not to give more than three cups a day. 
The other issue is sleep time. They were very well sleep trained and on regular sleeping schedule. However, after they switched from the crib to toddler bed, they started refusing sleeping in their beds. I tried the mantra method, but they clung to my legs or ran away to our bedroom, crying and screaming so loud that it makes me worried someone would call the police. So currently, I lay down on the floor of their room until they fall asleep or they sleep on our bedroom floor or our bed. We start our bedtime routine, like reading books in their bedroom, around 7.30, and my son falls asleep around 8.30 to 9, and my daughter does so around 9.30 on a good day or 11.30 on a bad day. They often wake up and come to our bedroom during the night. The school teachers say they take naps, but at home they do not sleep at all or take a one hour or less nap. They wake up between 6 and 7 a.m., I would like to stop this because I'm worried they do not have enough sleep because I'm distracting them and also I'm getting tired, wasting a few hours nagging them to go to sleep. I would appreciate your advice. Thank you so much. So because Yuki is a member, I did email her back with answers to both questions, but given how common these issues are, I thought it would be really good information to share with everyone. So there are some commonalities to both of these issues, which holds true in almost any case of struggling with these two common issues, bedtimes or nighttimes, and battles over food. So I'm going to start with those commonalities and then get into the particulars of dealing with each issue separately. So first, two and a half is smack dab in the middle of toddlerhood. We consider toddlerhood to start around 12 months, but really get started around 18 months through the fourth year. But luckily, things do start to improve in that fourth year quite a bit. So the real struggles are usually between about one and a half to four years old. Now, they get better in that fourth year, especially if good communication patterns and other social skills were taught and encouraged, as well as solid boundaries. Now, there is a term that I don't know how many of you have heard, but three-nager gets thrown around a lot because three-year-olds can be so stinking difficult. So toddlerhood is a big push for independence. Kids are always pushing to some degree, but there are two big ones, toddlerhood and adolescence. The push for independence also means a grab for power. They're constantly figuring out how to get more control. So they test, and when they find that opening, they take it and run with it. Struggles over food are rarely about the food they want or don't want. I mean, yes, it can be the very first time if it doesn't look appetizing, but food is an area where it is so easy for a toddler to gain the upper hand. The minute they see there's power in refusing to eat, they grab it and they use it. How hard they push or dig in, of course, depends on how persistent the child is. Some can be a lot more persistent than others. Now, in Yuki's case, I'm guessing her son is on the high end for persistence. So, Yuki, you may want to watch the class on temperament, and in particular, the section on persistence, and see if this sounds like your son in general or overall, not just in this area of food. And if so, take note of all the tips there are about dealing with a persistent child. The same with bedtimes or nighttimes. It's about power. It's about seeing how much they can get away with, and once they figure out how, they will run with it. In this case, Yuki's twins have figured out that if they make a lot of noise, they gain the upper hand and can get their way of not having to stay in their room or their rooms, or not having to stay in there alone, at least. Now, of course, with two ganging up, it is trickier and a lot harder to get this back on track because twins will feed off of each other. Or actually, any kids who are close in age will feed off of each other and work together to gang up on the parent or parents. So they make that a little more difficult. Now, I'll get to the tips for bedtime later, 
but I'm going to start with the food struggles right now. So the best thing parents can do is back way down, preferably back all the way off with the pressure for eating a bite of this and two bites of that. So as Yuki referred to, this is covered in both classes, I believe, the class on feeding and mealtimes for infants and toddlers and the class for preschool and beyond. But basically, what this does is let the child know that he or she has power with their food choices, and so it actually greatly increases the probability that your child will push back and be less likely to eat the stuff you're asking him to eat, and more likely they'll want and will eat the stuff you don't want them to eat as much of. It actually makes it way more enticing when it's used as a reward system. Now, there are many, many things you can do to get this back to a better place. These are all covered in the healthy eating classes, but I'm going to cover some highlights here in a moment. First, I want to share that I did ask Yuki what her kid's pediatrician thought, if he or she felt that they needed to work to up his food intake or not, because getting a professional opinion from someone who knows the child and has actually seen the child in person is really important. And she said the pediatrician was not concerned, so that's a good sign and a sign that we can move forward from here and just work on this behavior with eating. So here are several ways to work on getting the control back. Like I said, back completely off of pressuring a child to eat or try something. The mantra is the parent is in charge of what is offered and the child is in charge of how much he or she will eat. Knowing this, if you know a child will eat all the macaroni or all rice and none of the vegetables, then you can plan accordingly. There are several options. One is don't make rice or pasta or whatever as part of the meal at all. Another option is mix the vegetables in with the rice or pasta so well. Make it almost all vegetables and proteins with a little bit of pasta or a little bit of rice so that picking out the pasta or rice is a rather difficult task. But be ready to watch your toddler try to do this and even be fairly successful at first, but keep at it if this is the route you decide to go. He or she will get a bit of vegetables here and there and will get used to seeing it on their plate and in their food. That is an important step. Keep offering it that way or keep offering the veggies and proteins only, whichever you prefer or feel will work better. Most importantly, let go of the outcome. Accept that he or she may not eat at all. That's okay. Before long, your toddler will at least try what's served. Sometimes he will gobble it up and sometimes she'll decide she doesn't like it and that's fine. But don't offer anything else. If they don't eat it, don't say, okay, well, let me make you some toast. No, that just teaches them they don't have to eat what's on their plate and that you're going to make them something else afterwards. It's just going to ingrain that habit even worse. I remember saying, and I still do on occasion, this is what's for dinner. You don't have to eat it, but I'm not making anything else. So you may be hungry later. After a couple of meals like this, they learn to eat what's served. If they don't love it or like it, they'll take a few bites and they will be hungry later. But it increases the chance of them trying something in the later days, every other time it's offered and they don't seem to be excited about what's on their plate. It makes them more open to the idea of accepting what they're given because they know this is it. This is what I'm getting for dinner. This is what I'm getting for lunch. Now, I've shared this story many times before, but Chandler, my younger son, was the master of turning up his nose at something I would make for dinner. I don't like this, he would say before he even tried it. And I would say, that's fine, but this is dinner. You don't have to eat it, but you do need to stay at the table while the rest of us eat. 
So he'd sit there. I'd check him out from my peripheral vision without him noticing because he was always looking to see if I was watching. If he, and the same holds true for most toddlers, saw me watching him, it becomes a standoff. It's a challenge. He's not going to back down and try it if I'm watching. I would see him look at me, look at the plate, poke the dinner with his fork. Then he'd pull his plate closer in front of him. He'd smell it. Finally, he'd try a bit of it. All the while, I'm not looking directly at him. I'm talking with the other kids. I'm eating my dinner and basically just acting completely disinterested in whatever choice he makes. Now, of course, inside, I'm like, come on, just try it. You'll like it. And I'm just sort of waiting for that to happen. But nine times out of 10, he'd gobble up the entire plane and even ask for more. I never gloated or said, see, I knew you'd like it. I would just say, of course you can. I'm glad you like it. Sometimes he would say, I don't like it, and I would say, that's okay, thank you for trying it. It's also common for kids to not eat meals that are full of vegetables and other things they don't like as well and hold out for more fun types of foods for snack time. So you want to make snacks healthy as well. Veggies and dip like ranch or hummus. Now Yuki did share with me that her son has shown an allergic reaction to cashews and hummus, so for her that's not an option. I'm also wondering if he's allergic to the garbanzo beans or if it's the sesame paste used in some types of hummus or some other ingredient in there. If you feel like narrowing it down, it could mean this is an option minus one of the ingredients that goes into it. So you could make or find a hummus without that ingredient in it. That's just something you can try if you want to. Also, guacamole is another great dip. Yogurt with fruit. And I recommend plain Greek yogurt with smashed up fruit like raspberries or blueberries. And then you can sweeten it with a little agave, honey, or stevia. Things like turkey roll-ups in whole wheat tortillas with cream cheese, cucumber, tomato, or whatever vegetable your child is most likely to eat. Or any other type of dressing or, or dip or anything inside to moisten it up a little bit. If snacks are healthy as well as mealtimes, then there's no reason for holding out for snacks like goldfish and other types of crackers and carby types of foods. And it'll encourage your child to just eat when he's hungry. Now I'll add a handout to the podcast page for a list of healthy snack ideas that are balanced with a protein and a healthy carb. And now of course, any fruit is always a healthy snack as well. And to get a copy of our healthy snack handout, go to yourvillageonline.com slash podcast slash healthy dash snacks. That's yourvillageonline.com slash podcast slash healthy dash snacks. My other tip is to get your toddler involved in the process, such as try letting him pick out things at the grocery store, the fruits and vegetables, and the other healthy foods that you want him to start eating. He'll be more likely to try them. Also try going to an apple farm or berry picking in the summer, having him help cook, This works for kids of any age. Our nine-year-old goes through waves of being more or less picky. And a few weeks ago, my husband had him and a friend help make chili. It was chock full of beans, different kinds of beans. And normally, I don't think he would have even tried it. If he had taken a look at it and seen all those beans in there, I don't think he would have tried it if it had just been plopped down in front of him. But he gobbled this up and asked for more and even asked for it to be his lunch the next day. He had a really fun time cooking it with his friend and his dad. And he felt really connected to the process and really proud of what he had done. So getting kids involved in cooking makes it more personal and connects them to the food they're eating. Now these options bring kids closer to the process of how their food is made. It makes it more fun and therefore more likely that they will try it.
As an adult and a mom of a son, both with ADHD, I know navigating the expectations of life with ADHD can be a challenge, but finding the right care and proper tools needed to succeed can be life-changing. With the right resources, you can turn your ADHD into your superpower. Done is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD, online visits, refills, and a 24-7 care team made for you. Starting to take care of your ADHD is as easy as one, taking a one-minute free assessment to see if Done can help, two, booking an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as today or tomorrow, Three, start receiving ongoing care. Enjoy online visits, personalized treatment plan, worry-free refills, and 24-7 care. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Unlock your path to better focus now at Get dot donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn your ADHD into your strength. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple. Make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, By Heart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. By Heart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. BiHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about BiHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Now, before I get into answering the ways to deal with the bedtime and nighttime struggles that Yuki is having right now, I want to share that Small Business Saturday is coming up later in November. I've never participated, but I'm going to do it this year and I'm very excited about it. I'll be sharing my small business story I'll also be introducing you all to Ashley, who I have never mentioned, but she's an amazing young lady. She just got married this past summer, and she's been with me from pretty much the beginning. I'll be having her on the podcast just to say hi and let you know how she helps out. I'll also post a picture or two of her at work, as well as on my Instagram account, IronMom2020. You've all seen her amazing work, you just don't know it. I've also decided to donate 10% of all sales, new and continuing from now through Small Business Saturday, which is November 24th, to a nonprofit that is related to an issue I'm hearing more and more about. It's something all of us parents either will need to start thinking about, should be thinking about, or are already thinking about. 
And that is our children's future when it comes to job skills and employability. I'm not sure how many of you have friends who have older kids or have any older kids of your own, but I have been hearing more and more about the nightmare that is college applications and acceptances, costs, and then availability or lack thereof of jobs that pay decently well and match the skill set for kids coming out of college or kids who are getting some sort of trade or skill from a community college or in other ways. And so a lot of kids are now moving back home and working retail to make some money or moving in with a big group of friends into a small apartment or a small house while they try to figure out what their next steps are. In the meantime, they've many times borrowed quite a bit of money for an education that doesn't seem to increase the opportunity to be employable. Either they're lacking the skill set that companies need, or the pay for their skill set is so low it's not a living wage with the cost of housing, insurance, etc. that just seems to have skyrocketed in the past several decades. Now, as a side note, I am a member of our local college's business alliance group. What this group is about is for the college to understand what the current and upcoming needs of businesses are so that they can do their best to get their current and upcoming students these skills to be employable and valuable in this changing world. The issue is, though, that college curriculum takes years to develop and get through the state bureaucracy and approved for college credit. And by the time that happens, the skills are then obsolete and we're on to the next set of new skills because the world is changing very rapidly. So this is something that the states and the schools are all working on. But in the meantime, what is that answer? This is a bigger societal issue than just the pieces I've mentioned. However, I think a big part of this answer is, besides the type of work we do at the Business Alliance, is to help our kids understand that the world may not provide them a job when they graduate, whether it's high school or college or some sort of trade school, that they need to prepare themselves to be more entrepreneurial, to find a niche and a need and fill it. It may not mean they're going to start their own business. It may mean they start their own business. But there are lots of ways to be entrepreneurial and a lot of ways that that can be a very employable skill for a small business, a large business, or starting your own company. So these are really important skills that are going to be coming up in the world today. So they can find a niche and they can fill it. They can find a problem and solve it, but they need to be able to think outside the box. This may or may not mean college for many of these kids. It may mean certificates or classes in leadership, communication, design, computer networking, computer programming, or any combination that will give them a unique set of skills to make them valuable and marketable in the changing world. One thing that I can say is that the classes I offer, while they seem like they're just about a happier home and keeping toddlers from having so many meltdowns or just to get our kids to brush their darn teeth when you ask them to, they're actually about a lot more. They are about raising kids who are responsible, who are good problem solvers, who understand themselves and value themselves and others, that their choices have consequences, and getting them ready for this new world that they will be entering on their own before we know it. So the 10% of the revenue for that month between today and November 24th, I have decided to support the organization called Junior Achievement, which offers extracurricular programs for kids all over the world in entrepreneurship, workforce readiness, and financial literacy, another area where kids are really lacking skills and understanding. Very important skill when we grow up. The following information is from their website. 
Their entrepreneurial program is based around the current entrepreneurial landscape. They, meaning the kids that they work with, chase capital and learn about things like crowdfunding. The kids also research products to bring to market and learn about lean methodology. In many cases, they produce the product. It ranges from tech services to more mundane household goods that they sell door-to-door or online. In perhaps the most ambitious new JA program, and I love this, I would love to see this happen, the organization's Georgia chapter partnered with an Atlanta area school district to create a school within a school concept called JA Academy, in which kids' entire curriculum is built around solving business problems presented by partner companies. In the Academy's first year, I love this, absenteeism decreased 75% and disciplinary events decreased by 90%. This is amazing. And I really feel like this is the wave of the future. I would love to see this roll out. And their CEO, Jack Kosakowski, says, we are looking to extend their approach nationwide. So I feel really proud, really excited to support this organization with 10% of our revenue from this next month. So if you've been thinking about joining Your Village, Now is a great time to do that to support our small business and also help support junior achievement at the same time. So check us out at yourvillageonline.com. If you'd like to see more about junior achievement and support them directly, you can go to jaworldwide.org or for the U.S. site, you can go to juniorachievement.org. Now, to answer the sleep struggles question for Yuki. Now, this is a bit of a longer episode due to my parlay into sharing about Small Business Saturday. But hopefully you found those ideas thought-provoking and not too overwhelming, especially if you're a parent of a toddler just trying to get rid of the pacifier or trying to get your kid to stay in their own bed at night like Yuki. For Yuki, the rest of her question, or for anyone else with the struggle, or for those who maybe haven't hit it yet or are just curious about how to deal with it if they do come up against it. First, if your twins, Yuki, are in separate rooms, it would be easier for you because then you could work on one and then the other. It's really hard to do both kids at once unless you do one child and your husband or your partner does the other child at the same time. Otherwise, trying to deal with two kids and get them to stay in their own separate rooms or even the same room at once, it's just, it's a lot to take on as one parent. They will gang up on you or tend to gang up on you. But here are three options. Option one, you can allow them to sleep on the floor of your room, and then when you're ready, use the move-out method, which is moving them closer to their room every week or so. So first, they're in your room, but still by the door. Next week, they may sleep in the hall by your door. Now, you can have like a sleeping bag, or you could use a air mattress, or put their mattresses from their toddler beds um, on your floor, then over by the door, then in the hallway. There's different ways to do that. You don't have to just like stick them on the floor in their pajamas, but you can get them something more comfortable and set the boundary of where the bed is that they need to stay on. Um, So next they might be in the hall outside of their room and then inside their room, but they can be by the door. And then lastly, move them into their bed. At any point, they can and may decide they want to be in their own bed rather than the hallway or what have you. Now, option two, the slow transition, which is where you sit by the bed or you can lay down with them. You can rub their backs or whatever works for you and stay until they're almost asleep. Don't let them fall asleep. Do not wait until they're fully asleep because then when they wake up, they're expecting to find you there. And when you're not, that's when they come to get you. You want to do this for about five days. Then you'll take a step back. So if you were laying down with them, now you're sitting on their bed and only rubbing their back for a few minutes. 
you'll leave when they're almost asleep. If you were sitting by the bed in step one, then you would stay sitting on the bed, but stay until they're sleepy. Or you could move to sitting in a chair by the bed and staying until they're sleepy. There's a bunch of different kind of permutations of this that you can use and you can, uh, just as long as you're moving backwards with each step and making them more independent, you can stay so long as they're staying in their bed, but not trying to talk with you. Then you move to being over by the door. Now this method takes some time. And this is also why it would be almost impossible to do two kids at once, right? You can't be in two kids' beds rubbing backs at the same time. You can't be sitting by two kids' beds at the same time. It's not gonna work. Unless you're gonna wait till one's fully asleep, before you go start working on the other, and then you're pushing those bedtimes by about half an hour apart. And with twins, doesn't quite work or may not work as well. But it's a way, so this is a way to slowly transition them from you needing to be there the entire time to being able to just do a routine and tuck them in. Now, you're slowly staying shorter and shorter amounts of time and or further and further away. You're gonna do both of these things and you're gonna balance them. First, it might be a shorter amount of time, then you're gonna move away but stay the same amount of time, then you're gonna shorten the time, then you're gonna move away. You're gonna use the combination you feel like is gonna work best. You can choose how to do it and what the best place is to start. Maybe sitting by the bed is fine for them, great. Do that and stay until they're almost asleep, but not totally asleep. Okay, option three is the check-in method. This is where you promise to come back in five minutes so long as they're laying quietly in their beds. This may work well for you, Yuki, or it may not. It may backfire. You can decide. You could try it. They may stay in their beds and be quiet. You also could maybe not make it five minutes. Maybe you start with a minute and you go in and you check after a minute. If they do stay quiet, then you'll stay for a few minutes and rub their back. With this one, you lengthen the amount of time between visits. So for three to five nights, you would go in every five minutes. If that you feel like that's too long, go in every minute if you need to. But then the next four days, you're going to lengthen that out. If you started at one or two minutes, you're going to lengthen it to three or four minutes. If you started at five, you can make it every seven minutes, then every 10, 12, 15. And before you know it, you're checking on them one time after they're in bed. And then soon after that, you won't need to do it at all. So you're going to pick a method and you're going to stick with it. Now, if you try one and it's just a disaster and it's not working for you, obviously abandon it. Take a break for a couple of days. Go back and try a different method. Don't let them sleep on the floor one night, then try to do the slow transition a few nights later. It's too confusing. You wanna set your boundaries and your method and stick with it. You need to stick with the boundaries that you set up initially and give it a really solid effort. If it's failing because you're not sticking with the boundaries, well, that's the reason it's not working. So you don't wanna get your kids confused and then you get confused about which way you're doing things and the next thing you know, it's just all not working at all. Then you want to work to each new step of getting them closer to falling asleep on their own in their own rooms. When they come to your room at night, I would do whatever you can to not have them come into bed with you if it's disturbing to your sleep. If it's not, if you enjoy it, they'll eventually grow out of it, but probably not for a very long time. So only allow it if you like it and you're okay with it, even as they grow taller and bigger. If you're ready to have that part be done, then you need to set that boundary and stick with it. The toddler sleep class goes over each of these methods in depth, so be sure to check that out and get the steps step by step. Learn the positives and negatives of each method so you can decide which one makes the most sense to you. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, or if this topic stirred up more questions for you, 
feel free to reach out by sending an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.